it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And welcome back, everybody, to our new episode of Kicking It With Cure here on Full Press Radio, episode number 71. Happy to be back with you once again this week. Hope you're all staying safe. Hope you're all wearing a mask and get through COVID-19 together. And we have a great show for you coming up. So great, we don't have a guest today. So you get me talking for about over an hour, which you might like it, you might not like it, but you'll get my full opinion. We'll hopefully have... So guests on the next couple of weeks as we get toward the NFL draft, as we get toward uh, the end of April, basketball season winding down, hockey season winding down, baseball season in full swing. Uh, so all the major sports going on, and it's except the NFL, but the draft being at least NFL news. And we'll cover that over the next couple of weeks. We're going to get into the Masters. Of course, final round is today, so we'll get you set for that. We'll talk about Monday night's national championship game as Baylor ends Gonzaga's perfect season. We'll talk about the first couple weeks in baseball, including the first no-hitter in Padres history with Joe Musgrove, and we'll get into the latest on the NBA and even the NHL. Uh, we'll do a little bit of that. Trade deadline is Monday, uh, so that's getting to be a little bit exciting as well. want to remind you, you can tweet me on Twitter, at Rickinator555. That's at R-I-C-K, letter I, Nader, like in Terminator, three fives. You can follow us on Twitter, at FP underscore coverage, at Full Press Radio. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Chicken with Keeler. That's where you'll find it. You can also download the full press coverage app on your iOS or Android device. If you miss any part of this podcast or you just want to listen to me again or any of the other live shows that we have, which I'll tell you more about later, the full press coverage app is the place for you to go. And we'll tell you about those live shows, as I said, later. We'll also get into later the Sam Darnold trade to Carolina and what that could mean for the NFL draft and what that could mean for the Panthers going forward as it seems like the Jets are likely going to find their next franchise quarterback with the number two pick, Zach Wilson, out of BYU. We've talked about that before on the show. You rarely ever hear me lead with golf, unless that has to do with Tiger Woods. But we're going to lead with golf this week because it's about the Masters. And one of my favorite events to watch in sports is the Masters because, and I mentioned this last week when we kind of gave a brief preview of it, this tournament is one of the rare few that, for a lot of golf fans that really only watch because of Tiger Woods, 
even if Tiger's not in contention with this event, you're still going to watch because of the drama and first off the beauty of the course. And I know people, some people don't like that people over exemplify the beauty of the masters, but it is, it looks so great on TV. I'm sure those of you out there that have luck had the fortunate privilege to be at Augusta national can attest to this. It, it, it looks so great. It's like a golfer's dream to go there. I barely play my, my crying achievement in golf is hitting a ball 280 yards down the middle. I did it once. Uh, I've played 18 holes maybe a couple times. I'm not big into playing golf. I'd love to play, but I know I'm not that good. So it's always great to watch some of the top golfers out there. We've had a pretty good Masters so far, and it really came to an end for the third round Saturday and how great Hideki Matsuyama is. The golfer from Japan uh, came out of the weather delay that happened at about 5 o'clock Eastern time. Birdied 11, birdied 12, eagled 15, birdied 16, birdied 17, goes out and six under par, shoots a 30 on the back nine, which that's hard to do. The Masters record, I believe, is 63, which is nine under par. And Matsuyama nearly did that on nine holes, essentially. So he enters the final round today. His tee time will be 240 Eastern with a four-shot lead over Will Zalatoris, Mark Leishman, Justin Rose, and Xander Shoffley. Corey Connors is five back. Jordan Spieth, the master champ from a few years ago who won last week at the Texas Open. It was great to see him finally win again. He's six back. I think that's where the cutoff line is because you rarely ever see anybody come from behind to win at the Masters. It's usually if you're in those last two groups is where you'll find the winner. You do get your occasional drama. I know last November we didn't really get it because Dustin Johnson was offsetting course records shooting 20 under parts. By the way, he did not make the cut. And I was going over it this week with a couple of people. I, uh, I talked to a few friends of mine. Bryce Johnson from Impacket does a, a group every week, and uh, they listen to this podcast, so shout out to them. And we, I said one of my bold predictions for this week was I thought somebody who was in the top 15 in the world rankings or was a past champion at the Masters would win. Because usually that's what you find at the Masters. You usually see a top player win or somebody who's won before because it's tough to be an inexperienced player and or it's tough to win your first major at Augusta. It's rare that you see that. But you look at the top 15 this week. I'll give you, I'll give you the top 15 golfers right now. Dustin Johnson missed the cut. Dust, uh, Justin Thomas had an 8 on the par 5-13. He's likely out of the tournament at 1 under par. John Rahm is even par. He's out. Colin Morikawa, plus 1, out. Bryson DeChambeau had his good moments, but he's plus 2. Not going to win. Xander Shoffley has a shot. He's 6th in the world. He's 4 back. We'll get into him in a little bit. Patrick Reed, good round on Saturday, but 1 under, out. Uh, Tyrrell Hatton is number 8. He's 3 over, out. Webb Simpson, I don't believe Webb Simpson made the... Webb Simpson is even par. Not going to win. Patrick Cantlay missed the cut. Brooks Kepka missed the cut due to his injury. Amazing he even played, but he's out. Roy McIlroy missed the cut. Out. Tony Finau had some good moments on Friday. Uh, ends up shooting a 73. One over on Saturday. He's three under. Out. Victor Hovland, one under par. Out. And Daniel Berger, uh, he is he missed the cut. So think about all those names in the top 15. The only one that has a legitimate shot to win is Shoffley, who shot an even par 72 Thursday, then shot 69-68. Now, 
Matsuyama, if he hangs on, is no slouch. He's 25th in the ranking, so he's not that far off. Maybe I should have hedged my bet and said top 25 in the world. He's a really good golfer, but it, it's a, people are saying it's over because he's got a four-shot lead. But stranger things have happened at Augusta, and it's a lot of pressure when you're sitting on a 54-hole lead trying to win your first major to get that green jacket and be the first male golfer from Japan to win a major. So he's going to have to sleep on that, and you've got a bogey-free 65, which makes even that that much more impressive what he did on Saturday. But the bogeys are going to come. You know those iconic pin locations with some of these big-time holes at the par 5, 13, and 15, and 16, where you sometimes see a hole-in-one. The fifth hole is always tough. You look at holes through four through six. Someone usually makes a bogey on those three holes. You see every golfer do it. So there are pitfalls. So four shots is not a gimme. And I'll give you a couple of guys if it's not Matsuyama, I think have a, a, or the two guys I think would win besides him. I like what Zalatoris is doing. He's a good first time player. The story's great of how he went from the Corn Ferry Tour to playing in the final group with Justin Rose. I just don't think he's going to be able to mount this big of a comeback, but he's a fun player to watch and I think has a bright future. Mark Leishman's a very consistent player. I don't know if he's going to go low. He shot a 70, even par 72 Thursday, shot five under Friday, two under on Saturday. He'd have to kind of shoot 67 again. I don't really know if he can get to that point. I wouldn't be shocked if he won. He's just low on my list. And again, trying to win your first major. I don't put him there. So here are the two guys I like. One is Justin Rose. Now the problem for Justin Rose, he on that 4 through 6 range on Saturday, he shot 2 over. And then bogeyed 16 on Saturday, shoots even par 72. We haven't seen Rose play great with the lead, but one of the things we've seen Justin Rose, who's been a past U.S. Open champion, he lost to Sergio Garcia in the playoff a couple of years ago, is when he doesn't have the lead, when he's chasing... Or when you saw Friday when his four-shot lead got erased, he just rallied back. And I think when you look at for the winner at the Masters, you want a golfer that can kind of go on a good stretch of holes in the back nine. You saw Rose do that on Thursday, and we saw him do that on Friday. So if Justin Rose can play kind of similar to the way he did on that back nine Thursday and Friday, he can hunt down Matsuyama. He's got a great opportunity. The key is not to play himself out of the tournament early. And he did do a good job to start his second, the third round on Saturday, bury the first two holes. He probably has to do that again. It's not easy to bury the first hole. We only saw like, I think like four or five golfers do it on Saturday. So it's going to be tough for Rose, but I give him a shot. And Xander Shoffley, who is one of the more consistent players on tour. He played with Matsuyama on Saturday. They both made Eagle at 15. Uh, Shoffley shot three under on the back nine coming in, but he bogeyed five and seven on the front nine. Shoffley is going to at least have a chance to play with Matsuyama. If Matsuyama struggles, Shoffley can easily see if he can take advantage. That's a great benefit. And again, you're looking at those last two pairings. Shoffley's in that last group. You remember two years ago, he was in the running when Tiger eventually won. Shoffley had a chance still in the back nine to win the Masters. He's one of those best golfers never to win. I don't think he'll win, but I think he's the best guy outside of Matsuyama to win. I'm actually going to go with Justin Rose. Maybe I'm going against the grain here, and maybe I, I should be picking Matsuyama, but I, I kind of like Justin Rose's ability to go on a run. And he's, out of these guys, got the most experience playing at Augusta. 
I think that'll be to his advantage as the course maybe gets a little bit tougher, a little firmer, because Matsuyama did a good job taking advantage once the rain came. The course got a little bit easier to score, and he took full advantage of it. As for the others, I think Corey Connors, who made a hole-in-one at six on Saturday, he's six under. I love his iron play, He's but the putting is just a little bit too inconsistent. I think that's going to cost him. And Jordan Spieth, normally I would pick him, and he's one of my three offers I thought would win coming into the week. Spieth, Justin Thomas, or Victor Hovland, I think I had. And the problem for Spieth, I think he's too far back. He's six behind, and he normally has a hole that kind of derails his round. Uh, he made a double bogey at the seventh hole on Saturday, bogeyed the fourth, bogeyed 16th at the birdie 15. Speed kind of needs to go on that good stretch of holes where he makes a couple of birdies, and we haven't really seen Speed do that this week. In fact, and looking at his tournament so far, he hasn't even made back-to-back birdies once. You're kind of going to need to do that, especially when you're six behind, unless the leader absolutely collapses. That's the only way I could see Jordan Speed If he can string some birdies together and ride that momentum, because I think if he does, the limited crowd of patrons at Augusta will get behind him. Because I think his story of everybody comparing him to Tiger Woods and then falling off and now coming back again, to at least being contender almost every week, because we've seen that this season from Spieth and how consistent he's been. He's going to give himself a chance, and the, the fans love that. Because you look at this group, and there's not really a, a list of big names you can latch on to if you're a casual golf fan. Remember, Kepka missed the cut. Dustin Johnson missed the cut. Spieth is too far back. Justin Thomas, you could say, is too far back. He's 10 off the lead. People get behind him. He's out. You look at Hovland, who's one of those rising stars, out. John Rahm, who just became a new dad, too far back to get behind. Phil Mickelson's even par, too far back to get behind, although Phil played pretty good Saturday. Speed would be the people's champ in a sense, although I think people get behind Matsuyama, first-time winner. and I don't think Justin Rose is unlikable. I think people get behind him too. But Speed, I think, would get the most crowd support if he were to, say, make a charge and get that Sunday war, which, let's face it, we kind of missed that last year, and maybe it was a little bit easier for Dustin Johnson to win because you never heard that roar of somebody chasing you. If we could get a couple of those roars, that would be fantastic. And that's where I say, even when you have a four-shot lead at the Masters, it's not over. If Matsuyama makes one big mistake, there are people right behind him, very capable of catching him. But if Matsuyama goes out there early, maybe goes birdie-birdie and, and keep, doesn't make that mistake early, keeps the nerves in check, then he might breeze through. And he'd be a great champion if he does. He's, one of, he's been one of those guys, another one of those best to never win a major. When you look at the way he's been able to compete, he's usually right up there, was tied for 22nd the PGA last year. U.S. Open was tied 17th. The year before that, tied 21st, tied 16th, the U.S. Open and PJ respectively, tied 32nd to 2019 Masters. Uh, last year at Augusta in November, I'm trying to get the, see where he shot at Augusta, he was tied 13th. So he's usually around like that top 20 range where he has a good round but then kind of fades back. It'd be really good to see him put four good rounds together. Shot two under Thursday, one under, and then there was obviously the big round today. So. Obviously, I love watching the CBS golf team. I know NBC does a great job, but I like Jim Nance, Nick Faldo, Ian Baker-Finch, Trevor Immelman, Frank Navalo, 
I think Andrew Catalan's been doing a couple holes. Obviously, the Vern Lundquist at 16 is always great, and you always go back and watch those old YouTube clips of past Masters, and it's the, the music also gets in your head too. I get pumped whenever I hear the Masters music. So I'm looking forward to watching the coverage on CBS, seeing who wins. I, I'm going to pick Justin Rose. I'm going to take a chance. But I think Matsuyama's got a good opportunity. And I do think we'll get drama. I don't think it'll be a four-shot win. We'll put it that way. If Matsuyama wins, I think somebody's going to make it interesting. And if you're taking a bet, or just for entertainment purposes, I think Rose or Shoffley are going to be your best options at that. Because of how talented they are. And again, at the Masters, you rarely get a big deficit come from behind win. I think the last time we had that was when Greg Norman collapsed in 96 96 and Nick Faldo won. So we'll take our first break. We'll come back and uh, we'll we'll dive into the NFL. We're going to talk about the uh, Sam Darnold trade to the Panthers and what that could mean for the draft, what that could mean for Carolina, and what it could mean for the Jets going forward. You're listening to Kickin' with Keo here on Full Press Radio. We will be right back. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the second segment here on Kicking with Keeler. I want to remind you, of course, you can check out our live radio lineup every weekday here on the network. It starts at eight, about 8.30 in the morning. Ian London and Mike DeBate get you all set on the day's headlines with FPC Radio Live. Then you have Snowman in the Morning with my good friend Brian Snow. College Credit Hour at Memphis Spent. And Dylan and Ross save sports in the afternoon. And no, they just don't save sports in the afternoon. They do it all the time. Put the shows on in the afternoon. So a great part of our live rear lamp. Some of that you can see on our Sportscaster page. If you want to air your opinions, use Sportscaster.com. We have some good video content on there as well, in addition to the podcasts that we have for different leagues, different teams. If you see something that we don't have, go to FullPressCoverage.com. You can feel free to apply, and maybe you'll be a part of our team today. Not a lot of big NFL news. Uh, obviously, the Deshaun Watson saga continues. Uh, we're about less than, like a little bit over two weeks away from the draft. So we're starting to get to the point where the rumors will finally stop and you stop reading mock drafts. You should read mock drafts. I know that like I, there are shows I watch where they constantly talk about the draft. They get a little bit tiring. You just like want the draft to happen already. But big trade in the NFL this week. Sam Darnold is the new quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. The Jets get a sixth-round pick this year and then a second-rounder and a fourth-rounder next year. And for both sides, this trade makes sense. Let's start looking at it from the Panthers' side first. They have the eighth pick in this year's draft. There's no gimme they're going to get a quarterback at eight because we know Trevor Lawrence is going to the Jaguars at one. We most likely know the Jets are going to get Zach Wilson at two. You would think the Niners after trading with the Miami Dolphins to move up to three, would take a quarterback at three. Atlanta has a chance to take a quarterback at four as the future to Matt Ryan. That would mean four quarterbacks start the draft, and there's only one left at that point. And we'll see if a team trades up, but that wouldn't leave Carolina with much options. And since they can't trade for Deshaun Watson at the moment, 
you kind of don't want to get stuck without a chair, which could happen maybe to Denver, which could maybe happen in New England. So the Panthers get a quarterback in Sam Darnold who's only 23 years old. I think we forget that sometimes. Even though he's played three years in the league, he's still a pretty young quarterback that has some development to do. And I don't think he's that bad of a player. I think he was in a bad situation. He's going to be 24 this season. Adam Gase was not the greatest coach with the Jets, as we all know. He didn't have a lot of talent around him. Yes, he had Jamison Crowder. Yes, he had Le'Veon Bell, but the offense wasn't consistent. Now, Darnold is still a turnover machine. He's still prone to making mistakes. But I think Carolina is one of the better situations for him. One, he gets a a coach in Matt Rule that, from all accounts, when Matt Rule is interviewing for the Jet job, he likes Sam Darnold. So it would make sense why Carolina would try to trade for him here. He gets to work with Joe Brady, who's one of the top young offensive minds. Brady being the offensive coordinator, the former LSU offensive coordinator, who of course won a national championship with Joe Burrow. So you give Brady a young quarterback to work with. That plays a factor in this. He gets to throw to Robbie Anderson again. Robbie Anderson, of course, former uh, wide receiver with the Jets. Now Darnold Anderson gets to play together. And if you're Carolina, look at it this way. You pick up his fifth-year option. You basically get two years to see what Sam Darnold can do. And if he struggles, you move on to the next guy. And it's really at a not that much of a cost compared to what you have to pay a quarterback with all these extensions and things of that nature. It's basically a, a second chance for Darnold, and it's not much risk for Carolina to at least try it. We'll see what the future is for Teddy Bridgewater, because he's clearly not the answer in Carolina now. Does the team try to trade for him? Maybe a team gets an injury in minicamp or training camp and wants to trade for him. That's also a possibility, too. But I like this trade for Carolina. If anything, they get a head start in the other three teams in the division. We'll see if the Falcons take a quarterback at four. If they don't, then you still have Matt Ryan for a year or two, so Carolina gets a head start there. We don't know what the Saints are. If it's Taysom Hill, is it Jameis Winston? Do they draft a quarterback in the first round? And Tampa Bay, I know a lot of people have talked about this week. I've seen like different people on NFL Network and talk about maybe taking Brady's replacement at 32. I don't know if I would go there, but I understand the reasoning behind it. But even then, Tampa's got Tom Brady for the next couple of years. So Carolina could maybe find their quarterback of the future before the other three teams to do and kind of get that head start. And you're not really giving up that much. Yes, a second round pick is pretty high, but if you're decent next year, it's a pick in the 40s or 50s. You could kind of live with that, especially if Darnold turns out to be pretty good. You at least found your quarterback for the moment. Now looking at it from the Jets side, really they had no choice to make this move. I know people talked about, oh, you could draft Zach Wilson at BYU because that's probably the pick. You could draft Wilson and keep Donald and start the season with him. No, you can't do that because the second Sam Donald throws an interception, the, the fans that are going to come back in a MetLife Stadium this year at a limited capacity are going to boo Sam Donald off the field. It's just that simple. If you're around New York sports as much as I am being in New York, or if you know New York talk radio and things of that nature, you know the deal. The second the Jets draft would draft Zach Wilson, Sam Donald's gone. 
but you have to try to get the most for him. And Joe Douglas did a fantastic job with getting the return from the Seahawks for Jamal Adams, getting the two first round picks. They weren't going to get that much in this deal. And from all accounts, I know Ian Rapport from Rap, uh, NFL Network was talking about it. There wasn't a lot of teams interested. So if that was the case, you got to take what you can get. And I think what hurt the Jets is a lot of teams had their quarterback situation somewhat figured out. You have the exception of the Broncos. You're not going to trade Donald to the Patriots. Washington at least signed Ryan Fitzpatrick for the time being, and they have Taylor Heineke, and we'll see. Maybe they try to make a trade up from 19, but you could see maybe why they think for right now trying to win, maybe they don't feel Donald's the best situation for that. So with the options dwindling, Douglas kind of had to make a trade before the draft. He couldn't sit and wait and hope for an injury from somebody's quarterback because that might not happen. So Joe Douglas makes this move, and for the Jets, it's a good reset because Joe Douglas wants to get his quarterback. Remember, Sam Darnold was a Mike McCagnan pick. Mike McCagnan being the former GM for the Jets, you got ousted when Adam Gase got the job. So it's a chance to reset. Robert Sala, the new coach, gets to start with a new quarterback and put their systems in place. So it's a good restart for the Jets, who are still far away from winning in this division because Josh Allen and the Bills have set up a good foundation. The Dolphins have Tua, and at least they have a good cast of characters. Brian Flores is a pretty good coach, so they're in a good position. The Patriots, I don't know how great they'll be in 2021, but they should be improved regardless of who their quarterback is. They made a lot of moves in free agency, and we'll get to them in a couple weeks when the draft comes up and what they might actually do. But for right now, they're at least expected to be better than they were a year ago. So the Jets are still way behind those three teams. So if that's the case, and you probably won't, hopefully not for the Jet fans' sake, pick at number two for a good long time. So if that's the case, you take the quarterback. You take the quarterback, you have another pick in the first round, maybe you take a a player to help your young quarterback, and you go from there. You have Corey Davis as a wide receiver that can help him. Maybe you sign a veteran backup, maybe a, a Brian Hoyer, an Alex Smith. Somebody like that to kind of mentor Zach Wilson. It could work. But the fact of the matter is the Jets needed a reset. They needed to kind of start over completely. And that means getting rid of the quarterback. And and Sam Darnold has handled it very well. Like, I listened to him every week He during the season. He would do an interview on the Michael K. show in New York. And it's one of my favorite shows. And every time I heard him, he never threw anybody under the bus, never complained about anybody, and always kept the same attitude. That's what you want in a leader. And I remember when the Jets took him at three, and I'll admit, I loved the pick for the Jets at the time. Because I thought they had found their next quarterback. And there are times where he's looked okay, and other times where he's looked pretty bad. I don't think he's a great quarterback, but I don't think he's terrible either. I think you can win with him. And that's why I think the Panthers, look, you've got McCaffrey. You've got Robbie Anderson. You've got DJ Moore. Yes, you lost Curtis Samuel, but maybe at eight you take a wide receiver. Depending on if it's Waddle, if it's Jamar Chase, if it's Devontae Smith, maybe a receiver gets available. 
Maybe you take Panay Sewell, the tackle out of Oregon, if he's available at eight, or you take uh, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. Use that eighth pick to put something around Sam Darnold to show you're fully invested in him. And you can make it work. Because the Panthers are now one of those teams you could either use the pick and trade down for a team that needs a quarterback and get something back. You could take one of the better skill position players. You could take Sewell out of Oregon. Because you look at teams like the Bengals and the Dolphins. And probably, I don't know if it's the Lions, but those four teams could benefit from all the quarterback picking at the top of the draft because now they'll get their pick of whoever they want. And you could probably now throw Carolina into that mix. Could they take a quarterback? I wouldn't rule it out, but I, I, I think once you trade for Donald and you give up that second round pick in the following year, you're kind of committed to him. At least for the near future, not for the distant future, because it's a new NFL. You don't get five years with a young quarterback anymore. You take the quarterback in the first round to give him the five year contract, but there's no sit and develop that much. It's really, you get picked, you play most of the time. And Darnold's going to get to play. But now that he's got that fresh start, he's got to deliver. He's got to at least show more flashes of why he was a top pick coming out of USC. And at USC, he had the sack issues and had the turnover issues. But the talent was there. He flashes the brilliance, especially in that Rose Bowl against Penn State. There needs to be more of that. Because a lot of analysts like him. A lot of analysts think the Jets screwed him up. And quarterback fit is quarterback success is usually about how you fit into a system. You're giving Sam Darnold Joe Brady, he's got to fit. No excuses. The only other NFL thing I could think of this week, Aaron Rodgers was starting off his run as the guest host on Jeopardy. I thought he did really good. I thought he was did a good job preparing for it. I thought he had a good job making when a contestant kind of used the final jeopardy to put who decided to kick the field goal, which would happen in the NFC Championship. I thought Rodgers handled that very well. Not going to get into what his future is or anything like that. We could get into that another time, but I thought that was pretty interesting. It was pretty funny. Uh, so I like what Aaron Rodgers did there. So keep an eye on a couple things this week. Justin Fields, I think, has his second pro day. Trey Lance will have his second pro day pretty soon. Some more teams get to watch him. I watch both those quarterbacks. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with those two quarterbacks. Again, we're going to try to get a draft expert or somebody that writes about the draft on in the next couple of weeks as we get closer, maybe not next week, but the following week, to get you set for it. And I think, not sure yet if it's a definite, I think that week we'll do our show Thursday night, Friday morning is like a draft night recap kind of thing. So we're not, we're going to get to write the instant of what happened in the draft. So we're going to do that uh, because we did that last year. It was really interesting that we had um, Kyle Senra from Full Press Packers and Full Press Fantasy Football on because of the uh, Jordan Love pick. So we'll try to get somebody on from the network here or something going on for the draft. But our site usually does a good job with that. So we're going to come right back. Getting into some baseball. Joe Musgrove, the first no-hitter in Padres history. And I'll give you my thoughts on what's gone on in the league over the last two weeks. Including what happened with the uh, Met Marlin game the other day. And why there's a little bit of issue with Major League Baseball with replay. 
and I'll get you set for some of the top series to watch this week. So stay tuned here on Full Press Radio to kick him with Keeler. We'll take a commercial break and come right back. Turning out a Major League Baseball here on Kicking It with Keeler. And of course, we have to start with the San Diego Padres. Obviously, the Padres are one of the teams to beat in all of baseball. They're off to a good start. They're six and three. Three teams in the NL West over 500. We're going to get into that. But the big story this week in baseball, uh, Joe Musgrove on Saturday night at uh, Globe Life Park in Texas throws a no-hitter on Friday, which is Friday, not Saturday, Friday night. First no-hitter in San Diego Padres history. They're the last team that went without a no-hitter. And it was a great story because Joe Musgrove is from the California area. So to have him throw the no-hitter, I think, means definitely a lot more. He didn't have that crazy defensive play that kept it alive. There was a couple of Musgroves, I think, told Kenny Mayne. I was watching an interview he did on SportsCenter Friday night. It was good defensive plays that maybe aren't the, oh my gosh, I'm going to remember that play. But the Padres played good defense around him. Musgrove struck out 10. 112 pitches actually is not bad for a non-inning no-hitter. Uh, the only mistake he made was he hit Joey Gallo with a pitch. The Rangers are on a great team, so it's kind of the team you, you expect to throw a no-hitter against, even though they've got Gallo and Nate Lowe and a couple other pieces. But Texas, obviously, is one of the worst teams in the American League. But still, it's really hard to throw a no-hitter in a perfect game. Uh, so props to Joe Musgrove, props to the Padres. Um, I want to also give a shout-out to uh, Sully Baseball on Twitter. One of the things he does, if you're not familiar with his work, he does a good job hosts the Locked On MLB podcast, is every day he's been saying that today I'm going to pick uh, this Padre pitcher to throw the first no-hitter in franchise history. I'm glad he finally got to be right on one of those. It's a cool thing he does, and I wanted to uh, shout him out for that because I always enjoy that on Twitter every week. But the Padres, one of the better success stories in baseball so far, to nobody's surprise. Uh, we'll go around the divisions real quick for you so far. The Red Sox are 5-3. and three. They've won five in a row since starting 0-3. Swept the Rays. They've won the first two of their series against the Orioles. AL East is interesting so far. Tampa Bay, although is going to likely lose Chris Archer for one start, Archer left the game on Saturday against the Yankees with an injury. So that's a big deal in a way because the Rays don't exactly have the greatest starting pitching, but they've gone through. Yankees are in last right now. They're 3-5, and five, and I'll say this because Again, I write about the Yankees for Pinch Hype Prospects. I host the Chasing 28 podcast there with uh, James O'Connell and Alexis Farnacci. And I'll say this about the Yankees fans, and I'll say it to their fan base. If you are giving up after eight games, baseball is not the sport for you. This is to every fan in general. If you're giving up on your team after eight games and you're saying all this negativity and all this stuff, baseball is not your sport. Okay. It's a 162-game season. I think people forgot that because it's 60 games last year. And it was more of a sprint. It's a marathon. You deal with it. And the Yankees have their issues. They're struggling to hit the ball at the plate. Got shut out on Saturday. Domingo Herman had another awful start Saturday. Got got option to the alternate site. Corey Kluber was terrible on Friday. But the Yankees are going to be fine. They're going to hit. Aaron Judge only missed a couple of days. He's back in the lineup. Gio Urshel is back in the lineup. They're going to be fine. They've lost three in a row. Every team loses three, four in a row at some point during the season. They're going to be okay. 
AL Central, Minnesota's five and three, Cleveland is four and three, White Sox are four and four. I'm still kind of concerned with what their bullpen is. But Urban Mercedes is off to a really good start. So I like what the White Sox are doing. AL West. Oakland's kind of rewrote the ship a little bit. They've won their last two against the Astros, kind of got themselves to three and seven, but A's had a horrible schedule to start off. They go to Arizona coming up, so maybe Oakland gets a little bit better. Astros are six and three, tied with the Angels, who we saw Shohei Otani pitch Sunday, and I still have not quite sold in the whole Otani can pitch and hit, but it's still cool when he throws 101 miles an hour and hits a home run as you saw against the White Sox last week. His next start got pushed back due to a blister, though, and it just, I wonder if Otani can do both. I want to root for him to do both, but at some point, I think the Angels are still going to have to make a decision on what he can actually do. But Los Angeles, despite getting blown out Saturday night in Dunedin, because remember, the Blue Jays are playing in Dunedin, they are still off to a good start at 6-3. and three. In the National League East, which is going to be really competitive, Phillies are 5-3, and three. game ahead of the Braves. Atlanta's won four in a row. Remember, the Braves started 0-4. Lost the first game that doubleheader of the Nationals on a walk-off one. Soto hit Nats are back to playing baseball again. But Atlanta's played better four in a row. Nationals are one and four. I think they've had a bad schedule to start off with Atlanta, then going to play the Dodgers in their first series as the world champions at home, getting their rings. Dodgers have done a pretty good job. one one nothing the first game, 9-3 to Saturday. It's Max Scherzer against Clayton Kershaw later today. That's going to be a fun game to watch when those two pitchers go at it. We'll get into the Mets and Marlins coming up in a little bit, so I'll save that. Central, Reds offense, so much fun to watch. 6-2, and two, Tyler Naquin's playing great. Nick Castellanos is becoming that kind of that polarizing figure. People either love him or hate him, but he's hitting the ball well. St. Louis is the game behind. Cubs and Brewers are tied at 4-4, four and four, and the Pirates, well, they're the Pirates, they're 2-6. and six. And in the West, Dodgers off to a great start, 7-2. and two. We talked about them earlier with their series against the Nationals and how well they played. Giants are 5-3. and three. I think they played well, won three in a row. Johnny Cueto pitched well on Friday. We'll see what they do going forward. Diamondbacks are 3 and, and Diamondbacks and Rockies, well, they're 3-6. and six. They're struggling at the moment. But let me get into the Met Marlins series. So if you didn't watch it, I'm sure you've heard about it on Thursday, the Mets were ho- had their home over against the Marlins. Jeff McNeil hits a home run to tie the game at two in the bottom of the ninth. Remember, you also saw Jacob DeGrom Saturday strike out 14 and lose, and we'll get into him in a little bit. But going back to Thursday, Mets have the bases loaded. Anthony Bass, who's dominating that at bat, he's struggling in the inning, but he's dominating that at bat against Michael Conforto with sliders. And I'm watching the game with my family, who are Mets fans. And I'm saying watching the game, I'm saying Bass is going to keep throwing him sliders until Conforto can actually hit it. Because he can't recognize the pitch. Bass throws him a 1-2 slider. And you can you can tell somewhat on the replay. Conforto leans in with the elbow guard he has. It grazes the elbow guard. The umpire, Ron Culp, was about to punch him out, the strikeout. And then finally does, oh, he hit him, game's over. Yes, I understand it's a lot, e- it's a lot easier when you slow it down. And people, it's a judgment call technically, but you and I could watch that and tell Conforto kind of did it on purpose. Do you fully blame him? No, I don't think you're going to sit here and say Michael Conforto cheated the game. But it is a little Bush League. 
I mean, it's kind of like I'm not, I know I'm not going to get a hit against this guy. I'm going to do what I can to win. And look, that's gamesmanship. I totally understand that. My blame is not on Mike Conforto. My blame is on Ron Culpa, but not that much because I think Ron Culpa did a really good job at taking accountability for it. I think a lot of people like that of umpires when they say, look, I screwed up. Would I, in a perfect world, like to see the two teams on Saturday have played the game again, bases loaded two outs with Pete Alonso up and do that? Yeah, I think it'd be really cool if that actually happened. It'll never happen. But that would be ideal to kind of say, you know what, we screwed up. Let's try this again. You'd probably make every Met fan angry, but hey, I think in the spirit of fairness, you could at least think about that option. But my th- thought on baseball is this. If you're going to have replay, and I'm, and I'm in favor of replay in all sports, why not make every call reviewable? Even if there's a judgment call, if the umpire could have a chance to look at that and know he can have the opportunity to change it, Ron, Ron Copa would have changed the call. But because he's the crew chief as well, and keep this in mind if you work at a job, right, and your boss makes a mistake, you might not be as willing to tell, tell your boss, hey, you screwed up. So what umpire on that staff is going to have it easy to tell Ron Culpa, yeah, I think you screwed that up. I think he, he leaned in. That should be strike three. Easier said than done. And the only thing that Ron Culpa and the, could look at in Chelsea was whether it hit Conforto, which it did. And the argument would be, well, you can't make everything reviewable because it's going to slow the game down. Well, guess what? The game's already four hours. You're playing extra in games with men on second. And saying, oh, that'll make the game end quicker. They're still going about three and a half hours anyway. Why not get the call right? That's what replay is designed to do. There is no reason in 2021 why everything can't be reviewable in any sport. Now, if you want to limit it to, okay, in the later innings, everything gets reviewable, I'm okay with that too. Like NBA with the last two minutes. Football, where the last two minutes are not coaches' challenges, it's only by the booth. I like that idea. But can we make that universal here? Because the Marlins got robbed out of a game. The Mets could make the playoffs by a game in a competitive NL least because of that that game. Now, again, there's 162 can point to many different games, but this game will stand out among the others. But it kind of highlights where baseball's faults are, and I hate constantly highlighting where baseball's faults are because I love the sport. That can't happen. But give Culpa credit for at least saying, you know what, I screwed up. I apologize. Taking accountability is very important. So the Mets at least did that. Now, going to Jacob DeGrom real quick, talking to a lot of Met fans, and you feel bad for Jacob DeGrom, and I do too. When I watch Jacob DeGrom dominate, and I see the bullpen blow a game from like his first start, or I see the offense constantly not score for him, I feel bad. I get why people want to take the win stat away because of DeGrom, who rarely ever gets any wins. But I don't feel bad for DeGrom that much, and the reason why is... He chose to sign an extension with the Mets. It's been that way for years. DeGrom hasn't really got run support in the last like two, three seasons. And he chose to sign an extension. He wants to be a Met for 
essentially for the rest of almost the rest of his career. I don't see why he would leave at this point. He has a chance to be the second best pitcher in the franchise history behind Tom Seaver if he's not already. But he chose to stay with the Mets. He could have easily gone and signed with a team like the Dodgers and been with a great offense and got a bunch of runs. But it's also not easy to score with your ace on the mound either because you put so much pressure to get one or two runs on the board because you know one or two runs might be enough that day to win. Completely changes the landscape. I think we got into this a little bit last week, but a whole, the All-Star game in Colorado I think will be interesting. Home run derby for sure will be really interesting in Colorado. So let me give you my uh, series to watch this week. I think Yankees, Blue Jays, and Dunedin. Remember, the Blue Jays are in Dunedin. What's interesting is, and Mike Harrington from, uh, I think it was the Buffalo News had this. The Blue Jays AAA team is preparing in case they have to host the Blue Jays later in the season if Canada is not open to the Blue Jays. Remember, they're right now in their spring training facility in Dunedin. Where the ball is absolutely flying out of that park. Blue Jays are hitting the home runs too, but both teams are... Blue Jays are playing the Angels this weekend. You're seeing home runs galore in that park. So the the Buffalo Bison, which is a Blue Jays AAA team, is going to play in in Trenton, New Jersey. Formerly a double-A affiliate of the Yankees, but no longer because that's in Somerset. Trenton was going to be an MLB draft league. Now they're going to host the Bison. When the Bison are at home in Trenton, they're going to be the Trenton Thunder. When they're on the road, they're going to be the Buffalo Bison. There is a chance if you're a minor league geek like I am, that the Yankees AAA affiliate Scranton could play Buffalo in Trenton in June. And my good friend, assistant editor at Pinch Eye Prospect, Matt Carlos, pointed out a lot of those AAA Yankee players have played their home games in Trenton. So now they get a chance to be in the visiting clubhouse, which should be pretty interesting. But that's your cool minor league factoid for this week. Phillies-Mets, I think, is also a fun series. I think that's always one that you want to look into. Phillies took two or three from the Mets at Citizens Bank Park earlier last week. Reese Hoskins had a big series there, so that should be a fun matchup to watch. Tigers at Astros, just for the fact that A.J. Hinch, former Astros manager, gets back in Houston. Now the fans are in that ballpark. I'm interested to see what kind of fan... I'm sure he gets standing ovation from Astros fans. Why wouldn't you? He won you a championship. But he'll. I think he'll get the proper ovation from his hometown fans. Indians at White Sox, good battle in the Central there. And then Cubs-Brewers, another good matchup in the division. Nationals-Cardinals, potentially Tuesday night could be Steven Strasburg versus Jack Flaherty. That's always a fun pitching matchup there. And then coming up over the weekend, you have Rays-Yankees Part 2, Braves-Cubs at Wrigley Field, Cardinals-Phillies. You have Twins and Angels. That should be a pretty good series. And our first installment of Dodgers-Padres, which they hate each other 19 times. Rematch of last year's DS. Dodgers are playing well. Padres are playing strong baseball as well. But a big injury for the Padres is the shoulder injury to Fernando Tatis Jr. Uh, he had In a game earlier this past week, he had a, a subluxation issue with the shoulder. He's assigned not to have surgery at the moment. The good thing is for Tatis, he is working on the field at Globe Life Field. This is from the San Diego Union Tribune. He does have a tear in the labrum, but he's had the inflammation go down, and it can keep upping the activity for him. He's going to be out a good amount of time, 
But I think the good news is both for the Padres and for the game itself, he hopefully won't miss the rest of the season as long as he doesn't need surgery. He might need it at some point. He's had shoulder issues before. The game needs him. The game needs a young, great superstar that people can watch. And yes, he's on the West Coast. I get him. He talked about this when he got the extension. But, and yes, I've become a, a fan of him as well. I enjoy it. I think the Padres can, the only way the Padres can win the West, as good as their rotation is with Darvish and Snell and Musgrove and Paddock, and when they get Dimelson Lamette back, and their bullpen's on pretty good so far as well with Weathers and Pagan and Melanson, they need to tease in that offense. They can replace him in the short term because they got Kim, they've got Cronenworth, they've got Profar. So they can kind of mix and match, and they've got good versatility. But San Diego needs him in that lineup with Machado. Only way they can win this division. They know it. A.J. Preller knows it. Chase Tingler knows it. Hopefully he gets back soon. And But it'll, it should be a fun matchup, and it'll be San Diego's first chance to make a statement. They get them in Petco Park, the Dodgers. And the Dodgers have shown, look, no World Series hangover so far. They've won 7 out of 9. They should have beaten Oakland in one of those games that the A's got their first win in when they lost in a walk-off. And the other loss for L.A. is opening day in Colorado, which tough to sweep the Rockies when you're a division rival. So Dodgers already a run differential plus 20. The only team with a higher one uh, is Cincinnati at plus 27. In the National League and in the American League, you have Houston and Minnesota at plus 23 terms of run differential so it's been a good two weeks in baseball so far again we'll keep you updated each week on what's going on but that's my thoughts mainly on pete fans being impatient not just the yankees but any fan base it's not even 10 games people remember the old saying wait till memorial day and let's see where your team's at then then we can try to overreact underreact whatever there's time you can get better and then of course why baseball needs replay extensively. So we'll take one more break. We'll wrap it up with Baylor's win over Gonzaga in the national championship. Little NBA news. Uh, big win for the Lakers, by the way, on Saturday in Brooklyn. We're going to get into that. And maybe we'll do a little hockey. Uh, I know we had a big trade locally in terms of tri-state area sports with the Devils and Honors. So we'll get we'll touch on all that. One more segment coming up here on Kicking with Keeler on the Full Press Radio Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. One more segment here on Kicking with Keeler, episode number 71 for this week. You got four segments of me talking this week, and like I said, we'll hopefully have some more guests over the next couple weeks as we get 
close to the NFL draft and things of that nature. We wrap it up with a little bit of basketball and a little bit of hockey. And let, let's start with the national championship and an outcome that was surprising, not by who won the game, but the way it was won. Baylor, of course, winning the national championship in Indianapolis, a tournament that was successful on all fronts, a tournament that I think from all the excitement that was put on after missing it last year, I thought brought a lot of joy to people in itself. And Baylor is a worthy champion. As I said last week too, when we were looking ahead before the crazy shot by Jalen Suggs last Saturday to beat UCLA, and give UCLA credit. I mean, to shoot over 50% against Gonzaga and still lose the game, they were hitting so many mid-range shots. They played a perfect game and still couldn't pull it out. But props to Mick Cronin. UCLA did a fantastic job, and they'll be back. I mean, that's how good UCLA looks to be over the next couple of years. And Mick Cronin's a really good coach. But looking at the national championship, Baylor was just on a different level than Gonzaga. Now, that does not mean Gonzaga is not an all-time great team. We talked about it last week before Gonzaga was trying to go undefeated and trying to finish it off. You could go 31-1 and and still have an all-time great season. You're just not going to be remembered as the greatest team of all time. You'll be remembered as one of the all-time great teams. But there's something when you have that one that's always going to stick with people and you're not going to be as remembered in a sense. But for Baylor, for Scott Drew, and you think about where that program was and all the scandal in 2003 and, and to where they are right now, Scott Drew's done a fantastic job with the program. And Baylor basically was just the better team in this game. They're a more physical team. They shot 45% in the game, 30 for 67 shooting. Out-rebounded Gonzaga 38 to 22. Davion Mitchell had 15 points. Uh, Macy Oteague, 19 points. Vidal had 11 boards in the paint. Jared Butler had 22. They've got three pros on that team easily. And you look at where Baylor was. To only have two losses the entire year. And one of those losses being to Kansas at Kansas which is not an easy place to play. And the other being in the Big 12 tournament to Oklahoma State and Cade Cunningham. And to go through COVID pauses, weather pauses, they went through practically everything and still found a way to win a national championship. And you look at the over the last two decades, Baylor might be one of the best teams in the last 20 years to win a national championship. So for Gonzaga to have their only loss beat at that team, there's nothing to be ashamed about. It's not You're not going to now have the Gonzaga narrative where Mark Few's never going to win. Mark Few is going to win a national title at some point. At least I hope he does. And I, to me, I don't kind of doubt that he will because I think he's that good of a coach. He's going to keep getting recruits there. I know Ayayi's going to the NBA and that's a big loss and Suggs going to the NBA and Kispert's going to leave. But they keep getting recruits there. You, you watch Andrew Nemhard next year take over that offense. He's going to be more of a star than he was this season. And they'll bring in new freshmen and they'll continue to get better. And they continue to challenge themselves out of the conference. I think that's what makes Gonzaga a special team. It's just they keep retooling and, and rebuilt and 
bringing new recruits and getting better. But all in all, a very successful tournament, uh, and props to all those student athletes and all the coaches and players. Both the men's and women's tournament was really good too. Stanford beating Arizona, good run for Arizona who had beat Connecticut, but Stanford winning by a point in both their Final Four and national championship games to cut down the nets. Tara Vanderveer gets another national championship. The other big college basketball news this week, another, the head coaching carousel keeps spinning. Uh, Sean Miller fired as the head coach at Arizona. And yes, Arizona actually used the word fired. They didn't use parted ways, mutually parting of the ways. No, no, they used the word fired. And look, Arizona had success under Sean Miller. They got the seven tournaments, three Elite Eights, won the Pac-12 or shared the Pac-12 five times. But the off-court scandals that Arizona's been under, especially that FBI investigation a couple of years ago. I, I think if Sean Miller stopped winning, he was going to go. And it ended up happening. They had a postseason ban this year. They weren't probably not going to make the determine anyway. And now if you're Arizona, the question is, where do you turn? And we've talked about this before with these big jobs. You have to now bring in a coach, but also try to keep any semblance of the recruiting class that you can to be competitive. Case in point, look at North Carolina. They chose to hire Hubert Dave, Huber Davis, which I think was the right move. Yes, you could bring in a big-time coach, but Hubert Davis knows that team. He's been around that team with everybody entering the transfer portal, practically. You're going to get transfers to come regardless of who you who you hire because you're North Carolina. The key is you got to keep the players you have that you feel can bring a lot of talent to your team. You basically have to re-recruit in a pro-style free agency in a sense. Which is crazy, but that's where we are in college sports. And again, I don't blame the players because the coaches can leave at any time too. So that's not a problem for me. And I think the, the, the right person for me for Arizona, and I've kind of thought about this, I've thought about Miles Simon because he has NBA assistant coaching experience. He played at Arizona in the late 90s. I think he would be a good fit. I know people have put out the Pacific coach, Damon Stoudemire, former NBA point guard. That could make sense because at least he's going from Pacific to his, to his alma mater. You kind of want to have a coach with those kind of ties but has some coaching experience which Stoudemire has, which Miles Simon has. I don't know if Luke Walton would be a great fit, even though who knows if he stays with the Kings after this season, but that would be another interesting hire if they pulled that one off. But the Wildcats are... They have to be good along with UCLA for the Pac-12 to be relevant. Pac-12 had a really good tournament, but in order to stay nationally relevant, they need Arizona to be good. They need UCLA to be good. They might even need Arizona State with Bobby Hurley to be good. They need those programs to stay consistent. So this is a huge hire for Arizona. And we'll figure out what they decide to do with it. But I'm really intrigued to see what happens with that situation. Turning over to the NBA, and I, and I thought the big news from Saturday night, great job by the Lakers. No LeBron, who's now out for at least three weeks, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, Anthony Davis will miss another couple of weeks. And to go into Brooklyn, and yes, Brooklyn doesn't have James Harden, who's out with a hamstring injury, but they had Kyrie Irving. They had Kevin Durant. Kyrie Irving and Dennis Schroeder both get ejected in the third quarter. And the Lakers won by 25. In Brooklyn. And really did it with a team effort. Andre Drummond, 20 and 11. 
Schroeder had 19 before getting ejected. Caldwell Pope had 14. Taylor Horton Tucker had 11 assists to go with 14 points. Markeith, uh, Markeith Morris had 14 points. Ben McElmore, 17 off the bench. So it was a collective effort. And the Lakers, look, what matters to them is the postseason. We talked about this before. To me, their seeding does not matter. Right now, they're fifth. They're no danger of missing the playoffs. They don't need a top seed to advance as long as LeBron's healthy, as long as Anthony Davis is healthy. They're going to be right up there with the best of them to win a championship. But the races are heaving up. Remember, we're about a month away from the season wrapping up. And some interesting storylines are starting to form across the league. And we'll take a look at those really quick as we always give you an update on the standings each week. Philly and Brooklyn are tied at 36-17 and 17 as of Sunday. They'll both play Wednesday night in what is their last meeting of the regular season. So that could be a huge game for the one seed. Because remember, if you get the one seed in the East, you don't have to potentially play Milwaukee until the conference final. And I think either one of these teams would beat the Buck, but it's just another tough series. Right now, the four seed in the East is Charlotte. So who would you rather play in the second round, the Bucks or the Hornets? You'd rather play the Hornets. Hawks are the five. Miami is the six. Boston's the seven. Got a big win over the Knicks the other night. Knicks right now are the eight. Remember, it's seven through ten would be a play-in tournament, which would be Indiana the nine. And Chicago is the ten right now by two and a half over the Raptors. And then in the West, you have the Jazz, two and a half ahead of Phoenix. Utah continues to win at home. They're 24-2 at home this season, so home court means everything to them. And they got a really nice win in Phoenix the other night with Donovan Mitchell. Uh, good comeback from them in the second half. I was really impressed with that game. Clippers are third, four and a half behind. They've won four in a row. Denver's won eight straight. They're five and a half back. We talked about the Lakers. Blazers are in the sixth spot. 30 rebounds for Ennis Canner on Saturday night. That was a really great effort. They're eight and a half back, but in the sixth seed at the moment. Dallas, the seven. Memphis is the eight. San Antonio's been slipping. They lost five in a row. They're right now in that nine position. Golden State's getting really good games from Steph Curry. And with James Wiseman banged up, Draymond Green's been in and out of the lineup. Steph Curry won't get MVP. I think it'll be Joel Embiid or Jokic or somebody like that. But Curry deserves some consideration because if Golden State makes this makes the playoffs, it's largely because of him that they'd even be in that position. So they're the nine right they're the ten seed right now. Pelicans are a game and a half behind, and I think the league want Zion Williamson in the playoffs. But the problem for the Pelicans, they have eight road wins this season. The only two teams that have fewer road wins than them in the West are the two worst teams in the Western Conference, the Rockets and the Timberwolves. So I don't know where the Pelicans are going to be when it's all said and done. I'm not sure if they're going to make it because that road record is just hard to ignore. Some games to watch this week. Monday night, Philly at Dallas. That should be a really fun basketball game there. You get in, uh, Joel Embiid and Luka Doncic. Nuggets at Warriors is also the 10 o'clock game on ESPN. So that's a good game. With Sixers Mavericks on ESPN as well on Monday. Celtics at Trailblazers on Tuesday on TNT. Clippers at Pacers, battle of playoff teams there. That's a TNT game Tuesday. Lakers at Charlotte. Again, you got to include the Lakers back-to-back this week in New York and in Charlotte's take on the Hornets. We talked about Nets Sixers. That's the game 7 o'clock ESPN Wednesday in Philly. Knicks are at the Pelicans. Heat are at the Nuggets. Mavericks at the Grizzlies in a battle of two Western Conference playoff teams. 
Thursday night, Celtics at Lakers, an old classic rivalry there. Bucks at Hawks, battle of two top five teams in the East. So those are two TNT games Thursday. Friday night on ESPN, Doc Rivers hosts the Clippers as Philly takes on LA. Hornets at the Nets. And the late game on ESPN, Knicks and Mavericks. Trailblazers at Spurs could be a huge game for San Antonio. And then the Saturday night game on T- on ABC, six Warriors at Celtics. With the Jazz-Lakers being a 4.30 game ESPN. So Saturday afternoon basketball next week. I guess with the later schedule, you're going to get games like that on the TV schedule. Off the court, the big shocker was Saturday. Uh, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, and there was a report also in The Athletic, Alex Rodriguez is going to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves along with billionaire Mark Lohr. For $1.5 billion. I think the Minnesota Lynx are in that as well. In part of that sale. And look. Alex Rodriguez. We all remember when he tried to buy the Mets. Steve Cohen eventually bought the Mets. And Look, A-Rod's going to bring some relevancy to the Timberwolves. I'm not sure why he wanted to buy the Timberwolves. And be part of the NBA. You're going to be seeing LeBron James at least buy part stake in the Red Sox so it's not surprising I'm just confused I'm interested to see when A-Rod comments on it why he wanted to buy a stake in the Timberwolves and be a majority basically a majority owner in the Timberwolves remember it's him and just this billionaire Mark Lohr that are going to run that are the owners of the team they're going to keep the team in Minnesota which is great for that franchise you have a, a a great piece in Carl Anthony Towns, and they drafted Anthony Edwards, who's been okay. But what do they do now with potentially a top pick this year? Maybe they land Cade Cunningham, and they continue to, to build something there. They have D'Angelo Russell also in the team. So a lot of things can happen. I'm really interested to see what happens going forward with uh, A-Rod and the Timberwolves, but that was the latest news there. And wrap it up with a little bit of hockey. I know locally here the big trade was a Kyle Palmieri to the Islanders. Islanders are playing really well. Yes, I told my Islander friend I actually talk about it on the show. So the Islanders are playing great. The big news, I think, though, in the NHL, the playoffs are going to start later. We're supposed to start, the season's supposed to end May 11th. The problem for hockey right now are the Vancouver Canucks, and it just shows you again, COVID still exists have had their last eight games postponed because of a team outbreak. They're going to come back on Friday when they play Edmonton. They've had 21 players and four staff members test positive for one of those COVID variants. They're going to get every game in, which you could say maybe they shouldn't get every game in and try to start this, end the season on time, but I don't blame the NHL for trying to get every game in. Right now, Vancouver has 19 games left, and they're tied with cap- they're eight points back of the final spot which Montreal has the four spot. Remember, top four teams in each of these divisions get in the postseason. So you have to play these games because eight points is essentially four games when you think two points for a win. So Vancouver still has a shot. I get if they don't have a shot, maybe you can, and the other team that they're playing maybe doesn't, you can maybe cancel the game later on. But you have to at least give it an opportunity. So at least good thing for the Canucks, they're going to get back in the ice, and that's very important. As far as the, we'll give you a quick update in the standings. Maple Leafs lead the North Division by six over Winnipeg. 
Vancouver, as you mentioned, is six is eight points behind the four spot there. The Honda West right now would be Colorado is the one, Vegas the two, Minnesota the three, and the Blues the four. But Coyotes are a point back. The Sharks are four back. In the Discover Central, Carolina and Tampa are tied at 58 points. Florida's at 56. And then you have Nashville, two points ahead of Chicago and three five points over Dallas. And then the East, the Capitals and Islanders are tied. Pittsburgh is third. Boston's fourth. Philly fifth. The Rangers are sixth. I mean, I'm a Ranger guy. I just don't think they're going to catch up. Uh, remember, Boston still has two more games to play. So in hockey, you call that two games at hand. So... I think it's between the Bruins and the Flyers more so for that final playoff spot. Boston is two games up on Philly. And I'd be worried about the Bruins, even though they've been dealing with different goalies recently. So that should look at the NHL. I'm going to give you more hockey as we get to the Stanley Cup later uh, in the season. want to throw out a couple quick baseball notes that I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, shout out to Tim LaCastro for the Diamondbacks, who's stolen 28 straight bases. And a shout out to Trey Mancini. Uh, hit a home run Saturday night. Uh, his remember he missed all of last season recovering from colon cancer. Great story. The he's a great guy to root for. So congratulations to him as well. So I want to thank you all for tuning in this week. I want to remind you you can follow me on Twitter at rickandnader five five five. That's at r i c k letter i nader like in terminator and three fives. Follow us on Twitter at fp underscore coverage at full press radio. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You reach your podcast or search kicking with Keeler. That's where we are. And if you so much you like, so much you don't like, you can email me, rickjkeeler at gmail.com. I'm happy to hear from you. Remember, download the Full Press Coverage app on your iOS or Android device. You get all of our articles, podcasts, live shows, everything. So be sure to download that app today. We greatly appreciate it. You can catch my work also at pinstripeprospects.com. Uh, we do the Chasing 28 podcast every week. And we have uh, new stuff coming out over the next few weeks as the minor league season gets closer for the Yankees beginning on May 4th. And catch my work over at Barrett Sports Media. This week I did a couple of articles. Uh, one being with an interview that Katie Nolan did with Jay Billis, where Jay Billis talks about how he goes about looking at criticism from others that he gets from coaches and players, and, not players, but more so coaches. And when he hears back on a comment, something he said, how he considers it, I thought it was a really good interview there. And I also did a, a uh, column on an interview that Tom Rinaldi did on the Stupidity Podcast, where Tom Rinaldi talked about why he's not on Twitter. Uh, the Stupidity Podcast is great with Stu Gatz. Uh, he does a real fantastic job, and I really enjoy listening to that and giving you guys the rundown on what happens on that podcast, because I like how he gets the, the subject of the interview to really uh, open up on some of the thoughts. So uh, check out that over at Barrett Sports Media. Michael K., I know, won the MVP bracket there. Thanks for all those who voted on that. Uh, so from all of us here at Full Press Coverage, I'm Ricky Keeler saying thanks for kicking it with me, Ricky Keeler, this weekend. Enjoy the Masters today. Enjoy the baseball this week, the basketball, the hockey. And we'll see you back here next week here on Kicking It With Keeler. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Lands Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.